There's no such thing as the voiceless. There are only the deliberately silenced, or the preferred unheard. Arundhati Roy. Pre-COVID-19, which seems like ages ago, I would arrive downtown with the rising of the sun, have my choice of umbrella-covered tables in the daily center, where I would sit and dwell in the moment centering myself for the coming day. That one hour set my mind upon a trajectory to focus and derive creative solutions to problems for the upcoming work. My new normal finds me in the house 24 times 7 except to walk the dogs. I get an extra hour or two to sleep, time I would gladly trade for that creative hour. I can't seem to muster the same rhythm inside my home. My city seat, I have my pick of many in the wee hours, always purposefully selected to ensure my back was turned shunning the shit brown Picasso sculpture. I like the juxtaposition of the curves and lines in the statue creating a surreal mosquito or phantasmagoric baboon or whatever the untitled statue is supposed to be but the color offends my sense of decorum. Why couldn't Pablo make it a bit more lively? If surrealism was the goal, then go all out. He obviously had the skills and creative acuity. On this particular day, I spent enough time writing to achieve a much-needed sense of serenity. Writing is my meditation. The sun hung still low in the distant sky, a few clock revolutions from the apex, but beyond magic hour when colors pop and birds join an avian chorus worshipping the dawn. People emerged from the stairwell connecting the subterranean to the surface world having just exited the people carrier shuttling worker bees from the outskirts to the urban center of business and finance. I had already shuffled out of the train into the stale, dank, piss-smelling underworld, grabbed a couple of plain Duncans while navigating the tunnel system. Sadly, they no longer have the dunking handles that were the brand mainstay. I breached the surface to feel the breeze blowing fresh off the monster lake straight swimming down Washington Street as dawn was cresting. I bought a large early gray, one tea bag please, and two hard-boiled eggs to quell my hunger. The shelled eggs were perfectly smooth, baby-ass velvety. How do they shell without marring the white flesh beneath? Mine always have gouges. Both were devoured before reaching my seat, before even crossing the street. I was there for a couple hours alternating between observing passers-by and writing my reality into existence. My tea dregs dulled from torrid to tepid with the last swirling mouthful cold. The ash from the third incense stick was piling in one near-perfectly formed cone with splashes of white-gray spotting the black, metal table like little clouds scattered by the infrequent breeze. I capture some of the falling ash in my open palm, dump it on the page, use the tea-stir stick to scratch little designs in my notebook, a two-dimensional town consisting of one building, a home, my hoped-for home, isolated from humanity, open to the elements, ancient saguaro growing tall nearby with raven perched on the tippy-top rattlesnake resting in the crook of an arm skillfully avoiding the ubiquitous needles. High in the sky, vulture, a mere v-speck in the cloudless sky. At least, this is the heaven in my mind. I can't draw for shit so it looks more like the scribbling of a child not yet mastering fine motor skills. The incense stick was from my dwindling supply purchased in India. The aroma transports me back to many ornate, Hindu temples I visited during my 18 months living in Pune. It was nearing time to head into the office when the bombshell strolled by. She was tall, pushing six four inches in ruby and black stilettos, leg muscles toned, taut, defined from her slender ankles all the way up her long shapely legs, all the way to her shoulder-length black hair rich and glossy as raven's wing glinting off a mile-high sun and smokeless alpine skies. My favorite hair color by far. And the dress. Ooh la la. It was Carmen, V-cut in the front, low swoop in the back exposing more toned muscles, short-hemmed clinging like plastic wrap to her hypnotically swishing and swaying ass. The donkadonk. Her skin is flawless as the eggs I'd eaten earlier. My eyes were glued to her as she walked with long, confident strides never once faltering on the spiked heels. I gawked as she crossed my field of vision. 
her red with black accent purse bounced gently on her hip. I wanted to be that purse. I scrutinized every inch of her body as she walked across my field of vision until my attention was hooked by another woman also with a v-neck blouse exposing ample breasts. This other woman sat at a nearby table surrounded by pigeons scrambling in staccato head bobbing for the tidbits she weakly tossed their way. All her worldly possessions stored in one wheeled basket and overflowing raggedy, plastic bags with logos faded. As much as I tried to pretend she did not exist, my mind I, turned away, turned inward, turned outward, turned any ward but toward her was continuously, forcefully reeled in her direction. The more I fought to shake loose the deeper the hook penetrated. I was a fish gobsmacked on a treble and fighting only pushed the barbs deeper. The other woman. In hindsight, I realized the woman in red was little more than distracting bait presented by the gods, by the universal consciousness, a bait decades in the making to move my attention from where it was to where it needed to be which was the old homeless woman. I could not free myself from the elderly woman because my soul bleeds for the marginalized, the oppressed, the voiceless, those with little to no chance at experiencing social justice. The needing my soul needed to soften and reflex to the oppressed is rooted in my genes. I was born ginger, the rare 1-2% oddball with red hair. Which means, growing up being teased, ridiculed, bullied. Much unlike today when gingers, including males, are a hot commodity in the dating world, we were shunned. Still, that was a great progression from torturing us for being devil spawn. During the dark ages, my kind were tied to burning stakes rather than left alone for fear we would cast the evil eye on the unaware and cause their lives to spiral downward into decay. A long strange journey for my peeps. A foreshadow of my own strange journey. Because of the red hair, if the creator has at least a half-assed plan on setting up humans for success, I was born with a strong rebellious streak, a characteristic that has both hurt my ability to blend seamlessly with society while helping me develop the resilience to overcome mistreatments either real or imagined. But let's face it, there is no difference in slights, real or imagined, to the cantankerous. Another problem related to being so stubborn was a decided lack of empathy for others. Empathy in my soul did not begin with people nor with animals though I did have a greater fondness for the non-human people than I did for the human varieties. Empathy unfolded slowly evolving from wild places to animals and finally to people. This can be pieced together by an archaeological dig excavating the timeline of my favorite books, the rare specimens I rate 5 stars which means they have both a great message and exquisitely formed prose. The authors I favor have the common thread of speaking out, at great risk to themselves, calling to account those strangling the voiceless with entrails of abused power, systemic corruption, and justifying lies. The very reasons I can't stomach the T-Rump regime. That and the complete lunacy of a man obviously having lost his marbles before setting foot in the highest US office. There the stress has quickened his mental decay putting his cowardice on display for all to see, except the blind sycophants. Tops on the list, my all-time favorite author, Cactus Edward Abbey. Ed spoke eloquently and unabashedly for the legions who understand untrammeled, dangerous wilderness is a necessity, giving an especially loud voice to the wild places themselves, the targets of rape by the powerful to maximize shareholder value, i.e., maximize financial profits through the destruction of rare jewels. The government acts as little more than pimps to the Johns controlling big business. Without Ed, the beauty that is southern Utah would have been bulldozed to line pockets already overflowing with cash money. Sadly, he could not save Glen Canyon although he was able to immortalize her in words before the infernal Glen Canyon dam flooded God's masterpiece. Then there are the historians, Howard Zinn and Eduardo Galeano. What Howard voiced for the North Americans in one book, Eduardo did for the Latin Americans in many book exposés. Both wrote detailed histories but not the whitewashed, 
Attractive versions chest thumpers used to indoctrinate the school children into the misguided my country right or wrong mentality. No. They wrote the history of the disappeared, those bulldozed into unmarked, mass graves, the poverty-stricken, the enslaved, the many stories buried in the attic beneath the false bottom of a chain trunk designed to hide the ugliest of the skeletons. Neither shied away from the uncomfortable facts that the papas were, still are, serial abusers preying on the most vulnerable believing they, themselves, are immune from justice. Galeano is but one of a long, long list of Latin American authors speaking against the ruthless dictators and their corrupt regimes, oft backed coverly by Uncle Sam, plaguing the continent. The list of brave authors includes Miguel Angel Asturias, Sandra Cisneros, Isabel Allende, Paulo Freire, Luis Alberto Urrea, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and countless others. Latin America needed, needs, many courageous authors because their landmass is massive and rich in natural resources, the indigenous inhabitants nearly invisible, and the people had to battle on two fronts. The fascists in leadership positions and their U.S. puppet masters. Much like Tiny Hands T. Rump is a marionette ass dancing on Putin's dick. As rebellion beats in my heart so too does empathy for the marginalized which is why the barbed hook set deeply in my soul when I set eye upon the ancient woman. And try as my selfish tendencies did, I could not shake free from her essence. It's been almost a year and I can still see her clearly. At times, she visits visit me in my dreams. Her lips move but I can't hear what she's saying. The woman in red, on the other hand, had to be created. She is completely a figment of my imagination evaporated from my memory as quickly as fog dissipates in a soft bit of wind and an inkling of sun, a literary device to bait you, dear reader, into digging deeper into this offering. As for the homeless woman, I try to ignore her presence, pretend, if I do not look her way, she will cease to exist or will disappear as easily as brushing the incense ash from the table. First, I blow most of it away then, with my writing hand, wipe away the stubborn particulate. Streaks remain on the table as does a splotch on the meaty part of my hand. Finally, as a smear on my trousers. Ignoring a problem does not make it go away. The dictator generals, realizing this, chose to disappear their problems in the dead of night. Even with the disappearing, they could not expunge memories. Here, I was acting no better trying to disappear her from my reality during the bright light of a new day. I wrestle with my conscience doing my best to rationalize myself into saintliness knowing full well my thoughts were republican in nature, evil, pro-life until the life becomes inconvenient as in poor, swarthy, not a proclaimed Christian, born outside the arbitrary boundaries of a country, English not the first language. The question hanging over my soul, am I to continue with my republican attitude or treat this woman as a human being with inherent value? Notice I didn't say Democrat for they are no better. I proclaim all people are equal with my words, cheap rhetoric unless backed by action. Pro-life also cheap words unless the actions dive in and not only save a drowning life but invest one's own physical being in the ongoing sustenance of life. Adoption comes to mind or, secondarily, financial offerings. I don't want to exist in the same hypocrisy so make a decision. I will give out of my unwanted surplus. I hurriedly stuff my writing materials into my worn satchel, grab the bag of two uneaten donuts, walk toward the old, homeless woman's table. Would you like some donuts? I ask. What? Her voice is gravely like her vocal cords are scarred with biting sand grains. Are you hungry? Would you like some donuts? I'm hoping she will simply say yes so I can hurry away blanketing myself with pride for having done a good deed dirt cheap for this lowest rung of humanity. There I go again committing the unpardonable sin of judging someone by social position, by the lot life cast upon them. Please, lady, take the donuts so I can alleviate my guilt. My ears don't hear so well. What did you say? 
I want a rat scurry away from my discomfort, hide behind the trash bins, the smelly one not the recycling bin. Why was she making my good deeds so difficult? I had places to be, things to do, people to see. People? To see? Isn't she a people? What if the collective consciousness arranged for her to be the people I needed to see? What if the woman in the dirty, ragged sweater was Jezu comeback? What if the grey-haired ancient in the poor-fitting knit cap was Muhammad returned? Is she the next Buddha wearing flower tights and unmatched plaid dress instead of saffron robes present in this moment because she is searching for a worthy student to impart the wisdom of the universe? Or, what if, what if, she was simply a regular human, down on her luck, starving for human interaction? Are not all worthy of my time from Prince all the way along the continuum to Pauper? I walk closer. The breeze shifts carrying a wave of her body odor in my direction. It is not pleasant. But, I have been prepared. I once lived in a land with hygiene standards different than where I was raised, where strong body odors were normal, accepted by society. My role required me to be in close proximity. To visibly shun them would have been relational suicide in a country where relationships trump all. I learned to fight through my myopic cultural revulsion and accept this different way. It took a few months for me to coexist comfortably in their world but I did learn to live and let be. I move closer breaching the zone of funk, stand arms length away, mouth breathing until the smell normalizes and ceases poking my brain. Interwoven with her odor was a trace of vanilla and ambrosia. And a hint of patchouli? I wonder where those pleasant smells are coming from. I read once angels give off those smells. I find the whole concept of angels to be absurd. Maybe I can keep my nose in that flow instead of smelling her. I said, would you like a couple of donuts? Yes. My friends are always hungry. Friends? Where are your friends? Right here. She slow sweeps her arm in an arc. We are the only two in the vicinity. Is she delusional, or worse, schizophrenic? Am I putting myself in danger? There used to be a woman wandering the streets who would get into people's faces shouting fuck you. With animosity at anyone and everyone with a vengeance. I was once the object of her wrath. She knocked on a window of a restaurant where I was sipping Earl Grey and writing. I looked up. She unleashed a flurry of F-bombs at me. She was intimidating, possibly dangerous. Did this woman have similar tendencies? The pigeons. They are my friends. Wherever I go they follow. People think they are stupid. They think I'm stupid, too. But the birds recognize me. They flock to me. It's nice to have friends, to be appreciated. I hand her the bag. Good deed done. Hope you saw that God. Add it to my ledger as a deposit to offset some of my many, countless, debits. And it is time to escape, scurry away, enter the hive for the next 8 to 10 hours. Enjoy your day. Will you help me feed my friends? My fingers are icky stiff and it would help me immensely if you would break off some crumbs. Otherwise, I may drop the entire donut and those pesky seagulls will swoop in and steal it. Reluctantly, though I try not to show my irritation, I sit next to her and fish the first donut out of the bag. I could just crumble them in the bag into a mishmash, hodgepodge of crumbs and escape but I sense there is more to her request than mere crumbling to feed her friends. I pull apart the first and place the small particles looking like oddly shaped yellow rice grains in her hand. Her nails are long and undergirded with dirt as are the pores of her hands. When did she last have the opportunity to wash? Her joints are arthritic large, twisted into gnarled, short limbs jutting at painful angles. With great effort, she attempts to scatter the bits but they mostly drop at our feet. The winged rats warble coo alerting the smattering of pigeons of food and they all bobble head in our direction dodging the feet of passers-by. The gulls, not being as comfortable with humans, keep their distance all the time screeching. See how hungry they are. 
She smiles, looks on with satisfaction, puts her palm on my bare arm, and holds with as much force as her arthritis will allow which isn't much. It might as well be a baby grabbing at my arm. It is all I can do to not snatch it away. Will the smell transfer to me? Did she feel me cringe or was I able to mask my discomfort? Is she so starved for human touch as to not care if it came from a corrupt a human as myself? I have had to wean myself off the desire to be touched let alone caressed and now find myself leery of any physical human contact. I find myself actively avoiding flesh to flesh including when there is clothing to insulate from the bodily connection. I don't fear human contact. It's the return of those insidious cravings. If I come to allow myself to be touched, whether accidentally or meaningfully, the unsatisfied cravings will return to gnaw at my soul leaving me aware I am an empty, decaying vessel soon to be a dried up husk. Who is more homeless her without a roof over her head or me without an interior? You see that one with the puffy chest? I call him Ed because he reminds me of my husband always trying to appear bigger than he was. He had a puffed up ego that would never allow him to admit he was wrong in even the smallest things. You are married? Why am I shocked this homeless woman had a, has a, history? That she had a life before wandering the streets? No. He died long ago. The ego that refused to admit errors led us into bankruptcy. We lost everything, our house in Kenilworth included. The shame weighed so heavily he killed himself by falling in front of an oncoming train. I think his ego drove him to choose the Metra instead of the L. It was ruled a suicide so I couldn't collect a single penny from his life insurance. That was the end of the beginning of my suburban life and the beginning of my street life. I'm sorry for your loss. Did I sound trite? Should I add an offer of thoughts and prayers? Nah. Why buy into the hypocrisy and offer words for comfort when what's really needed is action, loving action? Love is a verb. Thoughts and prayers is the coward's way out of lifting a finger to help a person in need. She continues, it is water under the bridge now. I am psychologically better off. I can now have opinions without someone telling me I'm stupid. Her words trailed off into a silence, a comfortable silence, I enjoy silence, if only I could morph the silence into freeing myself from her touch, I'm sure her odor was settling in my pores where it would linger, without coming off as a total asshole. The Buddha and the Christ both lived compassion. While I dismiss the way humanity has evolved them beyond their original words, Jesus is now the patron of gun-toting Republicans smiling brightly on wealthy, white people, I do connect with their original concepts of compassion. Had I given enough today? Were the scales tipping in my favor? Would my heart pass the Anubis feather test? When is enough compassion, enough compassion? Is it compassion if it is forced? How do I jettison the escape hatch and get away? Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. I saw you writing. I used to write. What did you used to write? I wrote poetry. I had a book, one book of poetry published. Really? When? A lifetime ago. I wrote poems from my experiences as a severely depressed woman in an oppressive marriage. Having my mental anguish on display in bookstores really upset Ed and my kids. They shunned me when Ed died then ostracized me. That's when I started living in the streets. They blamed their father's death on the book, on me. They never could see his foibles. I've not seen them in years. You had a book of poetry published? She had my fully focused attention now. I love reading poetic prose and marvel at poetry exposing the human heart in all its colors. The archaeological dig of my favorite authors would include the subversive poet Pablo Neruda whose books launched him into exile. What made him so dangerous? His poems explored the deep reaches of love in a regime buoyed by and feasting on hate. He shone bright lights on the atrocities committed by Pinochet 
the Nixon-sponsored dog used to oust the democratically elected Chilean President Salvador Allende in a coup ending in Allen's murder. I don't see why we need to stand by and watch a country, Chile, go communist due to the irresponsibility of its people. Henry Kissinger. Pablo's worst sin, the people adored Pablo and elevated him above Pinochet in their hearts. For small egos, like T. Rump, Bolsonaro, Johnson, this is grievous. And for this offense, poor Pablito was poisoned by the snake Pinochet having been incited by the tail-rattling U.S. government with the CIA playing the toothy conduit. Without the checks and balances inherent in the U.S. Constitution, I can easily see T. Rump utilizing the same evil tactics. Robinson Jeffers is a poet in a similar vein who I met through the works of Ed Abbey. I haven't elevated any of Robinson's books to five-star status but he has compositions that are amongst my favorite literary works, pieces I find myself returning to re-read regularly over the decades for the way they infuse my soul with energy. Not only did Jeffers give voice to Rock and Hawk hoisting them on granite pedestals, he openly opposed World War II codifying his thoughts in a published book of poetry. Having been weaned on the teats of approved history, I was completely unaware's internal opposition to that war existed. It was always painted as the people 100% uniting behind the cause willingly sacrificing for the greater good. Agree with his position or not, I felt overwhelmed to learn the anti-war movement, which I wholeheartedly endorse, didn't magically appear with the Vietnam atrocity. Kindred rebellious spirits are part and parcel of the anti-imperialism heroes speaking out against wars throughout United States history. It is heartening to realize the long history of anti-war sedition reaches back to the War of 1812 and still has a long, strong, heartbeat. Here I was talking to a woman, a poet whose work, from the sound of her brief description, would definitely be on my must-read list. What is the book title? I didn't plan on writing a book. I was stopped by a woman one day, a day when I was struggling to put one foot in front of the other. Anyway, she was wearing hippie-type psychedelic clothing and a rainbow scarf on her head. She stopped me in the middle of the street. She was sobbing. She said my aura was laden with murky reds and muddy indigos. It was so damaged she, an empath, felt my suffering like a boot to the stomach. Her advice was to release my agony by writing my feelings down then creating a shallow pit in black soil in the shade of a cottonwood, wrap the pages around sprig, sage bundles and burning it all. The sage smoke would help disperse the pain into the winds. I would like to read it. I pressed her again for the title. Oh no. That book was for a different time and purpose. I wrote it to discar my soul so I could feel human again. It is no longer an accurate representation of who I am. To read it keeps my past alive. I don't want that past life to perpetuate. Let it die. So, you won't tell me the title? I never had the chance to burn it. A friend found my scribbled poetry at my home and arranged for a publisher friend of hers to print it. It was supposed to be a surprise for me. She meant well but it was not a good surprise, just the opposite. Imagine having your agony shown to the world. It was horrible. How about telling me your last name so I can find it on my own? No. Please respect my wishes. Chastised. I feel my face flush. I look away from her, look toward anything so she won't see my embarrassment. The morning rush crowd is pouring out of the subway. The woman has loosed her grip on arm, sits with her eyes closed. Her lips whisper murmurations too quiet for me to hear. The donuts I plan for her to eat are digesting in pigeon bellies and will soon be shit stains on the Picasso. I carefully place her hand in her lap. I want to think it is so she won't be disturbed but, reality, I want to escape unseen. I walk the few steps to the recycling bin can and discard the empty donut bag. When I turn around, the old woman is gone. I look around the plaza. Nothing. 
where she was sitting, a large white feather much too large to be from pigeon or gull is on her seat. I pick it up. It smells a lovely mixture of vanilla and patchouli. June 14, 2020